Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. My friend David Slade is a lawyer in Little Rock now, so he wears, his long, he wears long-sleeved shirts to work. Presumably this means fewer people see that he has the word obey tattooed onto one bicep. When I met him, he was the lead singer and guitarist of one of my nominees for best rock and roll band you've never heard of, The American Princes. Now I'm no connoisseur of body art, but something about having that particular word peeking out from beneath David's signature black t-shirt when the princes played the Rev Room or Vino's struck me as wonderfully odd. Odd enough, at least, to still remember it after all these years. Rock and roll has had a long association with disobedience, right? It's all about what norms or conventions or outright laws it questions or violates But that culture of disobedience is old enough for its own norms and traditions and rules to have arisen, demand obedience, and then be broken by the next rebellious generation over and over and over again. You do realize that if Elvis were alive, he'd be 87, don't you? The the Maundy and Maundy Thursday comes from the Latin mandatum, which is where we get the word mandate. It's a day in the liturgical year named for a rule. And even if you're generally a rule follower and ethically upright, orderly person, it would still be a little weird to come to a mandate Thursday service, wouldn't it? Left, right, or center on any American spectrum, there's not a lot of love lost on blind obedience to somebody else's rule. But here we are. Mandate Thursday it is. Because Jesus, at dinner on the night before he died, got up from the table, tied a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and washed the feet of his disciples. The mandate comes at the end of the scene when he says, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the new commandment we're told to obey, to love. But have you ever wondered what's so new about it? The command to love your neighbor as yourself was already very, very old when Jesus Jesus got that question about which commandment was greatest of all. He was quoting Leviticus when he said we should love God with all our hearts and mind and soul and strength and that we're to love our neighbor as our very selves. So why did he say this commandment was new? Well, one thing we learn over and over throughout the biblical story is that humans have long obeyed commandments in ways that become untrue to the deeper purposes of the rule. How many times did Jesus show us, whether directly or by a metaphor like a whitewashed tomb or in a story about a rich young man who's kept all the commandments since birth, but somehow still lacks something. How many times and in how many ways 
Did Jesus show us rule-keeping gone bad? And challenge us to go deeper and ask whether the rules we're obeying are really doing the work on our hearts and in our worlds they were made to do. Here's a more recent example. It's only four or five centuries old. There was a Holy Week tradition in England called the Royal Mondi, on which the monarch would wash the feet of poor people. Records show that in 1556, Queen Mary washed the feet of 41 poor women, one for each year she'd been alive. She gave them each 41 pence, as well as a little food and clothing, giving her very own gown to the woman thought to be poorest of them all. The giving of the gown then became part of the tradition, until a few years later, when Elizabeth was queen and thought things had gotten a little out of hand as women scrambled to get a piece of the royal cloth. So instead of 41 pence, Elizabeth gave a full pound to each woman in a little red purse and kept her gown. Now, I don't know about you, but I've got a hunch that if Jesus were in the crowd as the monarch, having just made her mondi, was helped back into a fancy carriage by her entourage and headed back to the palace for dinner, served on her best bone china and silver, he might not have said, yes, that's exactly what I had in mind when I washed the feet of my disciples the night before I died. Of course, we shouldn't be too sure of this. God does have a way of breaking through to us in the most unexpected ways and places, but at least on their surface. The humble and humbling act of washing the feet of another person seemed to have lost its loving content in the form obedience had taken. It seemed to be less about the material needs of the poor and more about one monarch's need for a public display of Christian virtue. But this might still be a window into why the commandment to love is always new. Mimicry is never enough. Love today will never look quite like what love looked yesterday because the form love takes is always determined at least in part by the beloved. Love is not love if it's entirely on the lover's terms. The great scholar of Hebrew Midrash, Aviva Zornberg, says, Love is to be identified with curiosity, with that attentiveness to the self-made worlds of others. That rings true, doesn't it? Love is a kind of curiosity. It's, it's an attentiveness to somebody else's world, a world that she, like all of us, is always in the process of making and remaking. So maybe this is why, while the command to love is very old, what love demands is always new. I can't know what love requires here and now until I've paid attention to you. And if you, the object of my loving, are not fixed and unchanging, Christian love can't be either. Which must be why sometimes love looks like turning over the money changers' tables, and sometimes it's writing in the dust with your finger in front of an angry mob. Sometimes love is a word that's withheld, and sometimes love is speaking what no one else seems willing to say. Sometimes love is setting another person free. Sometimes love is holding on just a little bit longer until they're safe. Sometimes love looks like grief. Sometimes it looks like laughter. 
Sometimes looks, love looks like both at the very same time. And sometimes love looks like an unjust execution with forgiveness being extended even to love's executioners. And sometimes love looks like an impossibly empty tomb at daybreak. And so the challenge remains. We can't know today what obedience to the commandment to love will require tomorrow in a world and among creatures who are the least bit free. Fortunately, Jesus wasn't showing us what love looks like once and for all at that supper with his friends the night before he died. He was violating rules, spoken and unspoken ones, in ways that would make a punk rocker proud when he knelt down, tied a towel around his waist, washed his disciples' feet, and then commanded them to love each other like he loved the world. The strangeness of the act is what unsettled them. And it still has the power to unsettle our lives. But not in mimicry or blind obedience. Jesus' enactments of love will unsettle only if, they, only if they make us curious. Only if they awaken our attention. Because while the command to love is old, the demands of love will always be as new as the moment at hand and the person in front of you. It may even be that love is not an action so much as it is the curious attention itself. And obedience may be nothing more but nothing less than whatever happens next after that kind of attention to the world has been paid. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.